Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Last week, we, we looked at the story of, of Paul and his dangerous faith. Raise your hand if you are here last Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Dangerous faith. Paul had dangerous faith. And that dangerous faith placed him on the front lines of ministry. He didn't shrink back from danger. He pressed forward in the face of it. And because of Paul's obedience, because of his faith, a great number of both, here are the words, here are the, here are the names, Jews and Gentiles got saved. Everybody say Jews and Gentiles. Both groups, we see both kinds of people from both different walks of life getting saved and added to the church over and over again through the book of Acts. And so Acts chapter 14 ends on this high note. It ends when, when, with, with Paul and Barnabas gathering the church at Antioch, gathering them together and, and basically talking about all that God had done with them and how that God had opened a door of faith for the Gentiles. So chapter 14 ends. You can go back and pick up later, maybe go back and read the final verses, but it's a celebration of what God had been doing. And so it ends on this high note, okay? Chapter 14 ends on a high note. But how many of y'all know whatever goes up must come? How many of y'all know that's true in life? There are seasons, you go up, you go down, okay? The aim is to be faithful to God through it all, amen? But here we see, uh, it kind of ends on this high note, chapter 14, and then here's where it picks up in Acts 15.1. Jesus, help us. Here, here's what Luke tells us. This is at the church in Antioch. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, here's what they taught, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be, you say it. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, let me stop right there. Obviously, circumcision, all joking aside, it's not something that we're used to talking about very often, if at all, right? It's not like a popular topic, okay? In the medical world, in hospitals, of course, of course it's there, of course. But, but in our day-to-day -day dialogue, in terms of uh, a religious context of your faith in Jesus, we don't talk about this, do we? But here I come, you know, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, preaching a whole message on it. All right. And, and I'm doing that because it's what's next in the text. But let me give you just a little bit of background for what's going on here. We have these Jews who came from Judea to the church in Antioch telling these Gentile, watch, non-circumcised Gentiles that they had to be circumcised in order to be saved. All right. Now, in all fairness, if you're a Jewish person, the, the practice of circumcision was very sacred. It was very important. You can trace it all the way back. You go into the Bible, into Genesis, to God's promise to Abraham. What did God tell Abraham? That through his offspring, that, that the nations would be blessed. All people would be blessed through him. The only problem was that he and his wife did not have a what? Yeah, a son, right? They were old and they were getting what? Older, you know, but God said through you, you the nations are going to be blessed. And, and so Abraham's looking at his body, he's looking at Sarah's body and in the natural, it just wasn't going to happen because they were old and getting older. 
Well, in due time, of course, Sarah conceived, bore a son, all that happened, the promise was fulfilled. But before she conceived, God gave this promise to Abraham and he, and he made this promise and he, he gave them this covenant that was a sign of the promise. It was a symbol of the covenant covenantal promises. And so essentially God tells Abraham, every male child on the eighth day was to be circumcised. And that would to be, that was to be a physical mark that would remind them as they grew up and as they moved on generation to generation for the Jewish people to be reminded of the covenant faithfulness of God. It starts out with this covenant keeping uh, ceremony, if you will. So Jewish people at the time, these Jews when they thought about circumcision and the practice thereof, this is a sacred thing. It was a, it was a holy thing, okay? But, but here in context, we see these Jews coming from Judea to Antioch, basically not just, not just saying we cherish circumcision as a mark, but they were, watch this, trying to push circumcision on Gentiles, making it a requirement for salvation. Now, are y'all getting the picture? There's a lot of details here, but are y'all getting the picture? Help me. Do I need to clarify anything? Probably. All right. So clear as mud. Okay. Gentiles weren't circumcised. Jewish people were. These are all Christians. Jewish Christians saying to the Gentiles, if you're going to be saved, you have to get this mark as grown people. Okay. So here's the way it works. Let me, let me step out of the text for just a second and say this. How many of y'all know there are thousands of things that we can debate from the Bible? There are thousands of things. One person has this interpretation. Another person has this interpretation, this and that, and all these different interpretations. And so, listen, there, there are a lot of things we can debate. And uh, today, it seems like people, even Christians, really, really love to debate. And there's nothing wrong with debating, per se. But, but I mean, come on, we got a lot going on in life, don't we? I mean, we don't have time, do we, to debate everything. Uh, and let me just say this. If you find... If you find that you live in a constant state of wanting to be contrary, and if you live in this constant state of wanting to debate everyone about everything, you got to check your spiritual pulse. You got you to you ask the question, Lord, is there something off in me? Are y'all with me? Are you combative all the time? If you're a Christian, you should not be combative all the time. Okay. But, but there is a place for debate and there is a place to push back. The question is, what do we debate? What do we, what, what should we push back on, when should we stand our ground and fight? Not with fists, but with words and with truth. When do we do that? Because we can't, we can't go through everything. We can't debate everything. So here, here's a rule of thumb that I follow. I believe we should follow the example of Jesus and the apostles. And here's the way I like to say it. If it fired them up, it should fire you up. Listen to what the apostle Paul said. He said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the, say it with me. Is it up there? <laughs> Y'all should know these things. I'm teasing. He said, there we go. I'm astonished. Do we need some coffee in the booth? Uh, you know, I'm a, no, they do an awesome job. I'm astonished that you are so, look at this, quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. And look at this, look at the language and are turning to a different gospel. You see that he's astonished. He's like, I'm shocked. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Look at verse eight. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one 
that we preach to you. Let him be. Y'all say it. I don't want to sound mean. Y'all say it. Accursed, right? So even if an angel were to appear, people in false religions have said, well, this angel appeared and gave me this word. Well, Paul says, even if an angel were to appear and give you a different gospel, if we are an angel from the lowest to the highest ranking order in the world were to present another gospel, look at what he says, let them be a curse. And, and you know, Paul, like, like myself, he had the gift of repetition. Verse nine, he says, as we've said before, now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you receive, let him be. Now, this is from the, the great apostle of love. The one who wrote, you know, we call it first Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind and all those things, huh? The, the same apostle is here saying, let those individuals, that angel, let them, if they preach this different gospel, let them be condemned, accursed, cut off. Y'all, that's strong language, huh? So we see Paul digging in his heels, showing us what he is very passionate about. This is him putting this issue at the forefront. In other words, saying if you're going to debate anything and do it harshly and do it forcefully, if you have to, it's the issue of getting the gospel right and confronting those who get it wrong. Are y'all with me? So, so what bothered Paul? Well, it bothered him. It bothered Barnabas when these Jews who I'm sure were great people, but they came to the church at Antioch and told these Gentiles that in order for them to be saved, they had to undergo circumcision. That deeply bothered Paul. That deeply, as you're going to see, bothered Peter and the other apostles. Because in essence, these Jews were preaching a false gospel. They were promoting and pushing a false gospel. And Paul and Barnabas simply, and I love this about them, they would agree to disagree about other things, but in this case, they were not going to put up with it. Listen to what we read here in Acts 15, verses 2 through 3. And after Paul and Barnabas had, look at this, no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers as they went, as they traveled, talking about all that God had done, not just with the Jews, but with the Gentiles in particular. And there was, it says, great joy. Now, let me stop right there. And I just want to make sure you're all on the same page with me. Do you see what's going on here in this episode? It says Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension with these teachers, meaning it got heated, meaning they took off the gloves, so to speak, and they were ready to fight with truth for the integrity of the gospel. Notice what they didn't say. They did not say to these false teachers and to all who are around them, they did not say, well, come on, y'all. We shouldn't fight over doctrine. This isn't a big deal. Let's just, let's just go with the flow. If that's your interpretation, Judaizers, that's cool. We have our interpretation. You got yours. Let's just all just be brothers and let's just be unified. They did not say that. Some people like to say that just for the sake of unity. But Paul and Barnabas stood their ground and had no small dissension and debate about the gospel. Listen, my friends, if there's anything we want to get right, 
It's the gospel. Because if you get the gospel wrong, everything else we do in church will be wrong. Are you with me? If you're not yet, I'm going to show you why this is so important for us, of course, today. All right. So they, they, they debated about it. And then we're told that they went up to Jerusalem, from Antioch to Jerusalem, to lay this issue of circumcision before the apostles and the elders. Here's what we're told in Acts 15, 4 and 5. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. Verse 5. Man, can't get away from these guys. Verse five, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said this, and it gets worse. It is necessary to circumcise them. They'd already heard this back in Antioch, but now in Jerusalem, these Pharisees are saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to what? Order them to what? Keep the law of Moses. So not just circumcision, but all the other laws, all the other rules, all the other regulations, essentially saying we have to order the Gentiles to keep it all. Now, do you see what's happening here? I mean, it's not just circumcision, but it's, it's all the requirements of the law. The, the list keeps getting longer and the requirements keep getting heavier and heavier. It's bad enough to teach circumcision as a prerequisite to salvation, but then you add on the, the mosaic law, all of it on top of that. What a mess, huh? What a mess. What, what an incredible burden. So Acts 15, six through 11, here's what happened. This is awesome. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been, what's it say? Much debate. Peter, my main man, Peter, he stood up and said to them, brothers, Jews, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse eight, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them, referring to the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Verse nine, and he made no distinction between us and them having, this is so important, having cleansed their hearts by what? Faith. By the works, right? By what? Faith. By faith. Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples, notice, notice the language, that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear, right? But we believe that we Jews, we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Now, there's a lot going on here, but let me explain simply. Peter stands up and essentially he's taking them back to what happened 10 years ago. Peter's at Cornelius' house. He's sharing the word, teaching the word. Gentiles are there. Jews are there. And as he's doing so, as he's speaking, the Holy Spirit, we were told, uh, was poured out on Gentile believers. They begin to speak in tongues and later they're, they're baptized and included into the family of God. So Peter's argument is essentially this, that we Jews, we're saved in the same way they will be. How are Jews saved? Answer, by grace. How are you saved today? By grace, 
through faith, not of circumcision, not of rule keeping, not of anything you do, but exclusively because of what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension to the father is our reigning king. It's Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. So Peter is saying, why would you, you Jews, put a yoke on these Gentiles, one that our forefathers, they couldn't bear it. We as Jews haven't been able to bear law keeping as a requirement for salvation. Why would you take that yoke that they couldn't bear, that we couldn't bear and place it on Gentiles? If we couldn't carry it, what makes you think they can? Does that make sense? So don't place that yoke upon them. Man, that's, that's heavy, huh? How many of y'all know the law is good? The law is good. Paul says it. The law is good. It's holy. There's no problem with the law itself. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with you and me. Huh? Because we're born with the sin of Adam, born with the sin nature. And every time we see a sign that says wet paint, don't touch, we do what? Yep, it's wet. <laughs> we are born that way. You say I have this problem. I was born this way. Yeah, you're born that way. It's why you got to be born again. You got to be born again by the spirit of God. But listen, the law is good. It's holy. The problem is with us. But listen, from the very beginning, from the very beginning, and this will be true to the very end, no one has ever been or will ever be saved through law keeping. No one. Let me say it again. No one. Some of you tried in the past by your good behavior to merit heaven and you failed miserably. You just couldn't be a good enough person. That's right. People say, well, I went to the priest, I confessed my sin, and I still felt guilty. And I said, that's because you are. Because the priest down the street can't forgive you. There's a high priest in heaven who can when you go to him. He'll clean you and forgive you. And no disrespect to the Catholic community. I'm just saying, we have to go to the one who can truly help us and set us free. No disrespect to the Catholic community. But we have a high priest in heaven. His name is Jesus. But no man... No woman has ever been, will ever be saved through their works from the very beginning. I mean, go back to Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Boy, that's good, huh? As R.C. Sproul says, faith is not just believing in God. Faith is believing God. It's I trust your word, God. I believe you. And listen, there's no greater way to honor God than by believing that his words are true. And when you believe in Christ, Christ forgives to the Father, provides forgiveness for your sin. You're brought into relationship with Jesus who unites you to the Father. It's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. But as we take a step back, we say from the beginning to the very end, it's all grace through faith. Boy, that's good news on Thanksgiving, huh? That's good news in every season of our lives. We are saved on the basis of Christ finished work. Come on, y'all. Now, I'm working this. I'm working this. So Peter is saying, why are you placing this yoke on these Gentiles? Why are you doing that? Cut it out. Stop it. Why would you do that? Didn't work for us. What makes you think it's going to work for them? Saved by law keeping. Ain't going to work. Now, let's be honest. Today for us, the issue is not circumcision, right? I mean, anybody walk in today just burdened because somebody told you you had to be circumcised men to be saved. Man, I need, can I just, Pastor, I got to talk to you, man. This guy called me, said, I, I'm, I'm being silly to make a point. What's the answer? No. 
It's not the issue. In a religious context, it's just not the problem that we're facing. The point for us, we have to be reminded of from this text, is salvation is a free gift that we receive by faith and faith alone. So, let me go a step further. You got that, right? Hopefully you got that. You say, well, what about good works? What about the law? What about certain aspects of the moral law? What, what, what about just doing good? Well, here's what I said. You will do good works as a Christian, but you don't do them to get or to stay saved. You do them because you are saved. And if you get this messed up, you're gonna, you got the whole gospel messed up. You got it all messed up. Let me say it this way. If you're taking notes, write this down. Good works flow from salvation. They are never the basis of it. Does that make sense? That is your good works. They flow from salvation. They are never the source itself. Good works, I say it this way, are always. Everybody say always. Always the fruit of salvation. They are never the root. Does that make sense? Write that down, meditate on that. It's a lot of meat right there. A lot of meat hanging on that tree. A lot of meat here. Good works are always the fruit, never the root. Good works are the result of a life transformed by the grace of Almighty God. Yeah. Because He purifies your heart by what? We just read it, by faith. That's how your heart is purified. Your life initially, you are justified and you are sanctified. You are saved. You are kept. You will be glorified one day because of the amazing grace of God in your life. Boy, that's good news, huh? Some of you have been walking around with the yoke of somebody else's expectation on you for years. Expectations that they themselves cannot bear that they've been trying to put on you. And what you need to say lovingly in response is, you failed at it. You're no good at it. Why would you lay that down as a requirement for me when you can't do it yourself? We are saved. We are kept. We will be glorified by the all-consuming, eternal grace of God given to us in space and time. It's God's grace from beginning to end. So as we move forward, this council meeting is going on, probably about 49 AD. There were multiple people here who spoke at this council addressing this issue of circumcision, as you might expect. As we just read, as we just read, Peter, he gave rock solid advice. You'd expect that from Peter, huh? Rock solid advice. Taking them back 10 years saying, this is how God saved these Gentiles 10 years before. Here's the sign. Didn't involve circumcision. But look, let's look. James the just, Jesus' half-brother, he takes it to a whole nother level. He doesn't go back 10 years. James takes his audience back to Amos, the prophet Amos, chapter 9. He goes old school, Old Testament on his audience to prove the point. Let's read Acts 15, beginning in verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. 
Verse 13, after they had finished speaking, James replied, brothers, everybody say brothers, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles. Remember what Peter said? Yeah, keep, keep that in mind. To take from them a people for his name, referring to the Gentiles, verse 15. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. Just as it is written, verse 16, now he goes to Amos chapter 9, quoting from the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, Septuagint. Here's what is stated. Um, after this, that's added, but after this, here's the version. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Now, this is a complicated passage. Let me just say in brief. Here, here is what he's saying by quoting Amos. James is basically saying with the help of the prophet here, Amos, that, that what we're saying to you about Gentiles uncircumcised Gentiles being a part of the family of God, this is not something we just came up with. His point was, this is old news, y'all. Y'all should know this. Gentiles are a part of the family by faith. But look at, what he, look, look at how he gets practical. James goes on to offer action points. I love this. It's where he gets practical. Get out your notepad because i got some things to say to you from James that are going to apply directly to your life. James says, Acts 15, 19 through 21. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. But, verse 20, should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Now, what do you do with that the Sunday before Thanksgiving? Y'all feeling my pain? Let me just preach it. Verse 21, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Here's what you do with this. Essentially, James is saying, Jews, listen up. Jewish Christians, we should not trouble the Gentiles who want to turn to God. Do not force Gentiles to become Jews in order to be saved. That's the first thing. That's what we should say, he says, to this group. But on the other hand, he said, let's tell the Gentiles that the Gentiles should abstain from anything and everything that offends their Jewish brothers and sisters. So he had advice for both. First, James says that the Gentiles should abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality. What does that mean? Let me start with the first part. Many Gentiles in their former life before Christ would participate in pagan worship pagan idolatry, worshiping and serving false gods. They would go to places, 
for festivals and celebrations that were polluted by idolatry, temples and such. Not only so, they had certain items that they used in, in pagan idolatrous worship. Okay? Well, in addition to that, people would offer uh, a sacrifice to the gods, an animal sacrifice. Once that sacrifice was done, they would take the meat and then they would sell that meat and the Gentiles would eat it without thinking a thing about it. It's just what you do. You, you can just eat the meat. Come on, they make good Cajuns, huh? They just eat. And so, so, so James is saying, listen, this is what the Gentiles used to do. This is what the Gentiles were associated with. Pagan worship, idolatry, okay? Abstain, Gentiles, abstain from that because you know that's going to drive your Jewish brothers and sisters crazy because Jews don't do that stuff. Are y'all with me? Does that make sense? But he goes on to say to abstain from what? Sexual immorality. In the Greco-Roman world, in the Greek world, the Gentile world, I mean, part and parcel of pagan worship was, were, were, were orgies and, and all these different sexual deviations and prostitution. I mean, that was a part of their religion, if you can imagine. Not just like their preferences in private, but sexual immorality was just all through the culture, all through the religion. And so basically, James is saying, Gentiles, remember that by committing sexual immorality, you're not only offending God, but you're also offending God's people, the Jewish people. So don't go there. In other words, he's saying, do not practice, do not handle, do not participate with anything that would offend God. Do not do anything that would offend your Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. Go out of your way to avoid these things. Now, this is very important for us to hear. Because we live in a world filled with sexual immorality. Don't we? It's going to be real quiet for the next four minutes. My name is Pastor Scott and I'm always your friend. I am your friend. We live in a world that is very much like Rome, the Roman world, the Greco-Roman world. Sexual immorality is normal in this world. It's wrong, but it's normal. Sexual deviation of every kind, it's normal today. So what is sexual immorality? Well, any sexual activity outside of the one man, one woman marriage covenant that you made before God Almighty, that we make before him, is sinful and must be repented of and stopped immediately. So, can I get practical? One person nodded their head. For the one person, let me talk to you. <laughs> Sex before marriage? Sexual activity before marriage? It's sinful. Pornography. It's evil. It's awful. It makes you feel good for a minute, but it will kill you and your marriage. Porn, prostitution, every form of sexual promiscuity, every sexual deviation, all sexual activity outside of the one man, one woman covenant 
we make before God Almighty is sinful. My heart in saying that is not to condemn anyone who's trapped in a lifestyle of addiction to pornography or any sexual sin. Okay? My heart is to say, I love you. Jesus loves you. And because he loves you, run like heaven from that hell. Tell them to abstain from sexual immorality. The Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Tell that stuff earlier about being saved by grace. Woo! But it's the grace of God, we're told in Titus, that teaches us to say no to worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age. So grace saves us, but grace also empowers us to live godly. Not perfect. Jesus was perfect. You never will be. I never will be. But how many of y'all know he empowers us to break those chains and to live free? Because he who the sun sets free can be free indeed. Okay. So if you're here, male, female, it's both. I mean, how many of y'all know you don't have to go look for perversion. Perversion will find you. I mean, just log on to your favorite, you know, Fox News. It doesn't matter. All of, it's all the same. I mean, some of the stuff across all the networks. I mean, come on, that's not news. I don't need to see all that. Right? The ads. Things people post on Instagram. I just talked to my, my son, my, my, my youngest son yesterday about this. And we had a talk, and I said, baby, listen, I said, have, have you seen anything you shouldn't online? You've ever been tempted to go there? Has anybody ever sent you anything? And he said, no, Dad. I said, are you sure, baby? And he said, no. I said, hear, hear me. If, if that's happened, Daddy's not mad at you. But I want you to be honest with me. And he was. No, Dad. I said, well, thank you, thank you. I said, you've got to guard yourself. You have to guard your eyes. You have got to be alert because the devil, Satan, roams to and fro looking for someone to devour. I said, put your guard up, baby. Be careful. And if you're struggling in any sexual sin, don't try to justify it and try to rewrite Scripture. Hear the word, let the word cut you, not to kill you, but to heal you. Receive that word. Don't fall into a bunch of condemnation and leave here. No, feel the conviction of God that it's killing you. It's killing your relationship with God and with your spouse if you're married. And sin is never just a private thing. It can happen in private, but it'll overflow and affect everything in your life. If you don't believe me, just ask King David. So if you're struggling, I understand. And I'm not mad at you and I don't want to shame anybody here. If you came to me and said, Pastor Scott, I'm struggling. Ladies, you can go to a lady, men to men, you say, I'm struggling. You know what I'd say to you? Number one, thank you for being honest about your struggle. This is a safe place. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Come on, this is a place of grace. And when you confess it, we, with God's help, will address it. 
you'll understand the amazing grace of God when we preach it to you and that grace saves you and that grace keeps you and that grace teaches you to go forward saying no to that sin that's killing your soul. So if you're dealing with it, find somebody today and say, man, I, yes, I'm making the choice, but I'm addicted. I'm in bondage. Man, you come forward and, and, and you confess that. We are going to walk with you. We are going to support you, and I will give you anything you need in the form of our resources at Our Savior's Church to see you achieve freedom for Jesus Christ. The help, the counseling, whatever you need. Are y'all with me? Y'all feel my heart? So as the shepherd here, I want to warn you about sin. I want, to tell, I want to tell you how awful sexual immorality is, how much it breaks God's heart. And I want you to feel that. On the other hand, I want you to feel God's heart that if you're in that lifestyle, you can leave it today, repent, and be free. Y'all, y'all hear both are true? Y'all hear my heart in that? Men and ladies, be very careful. If this is the line, if this is the line that's sin, right there, over it. Here's what all of you need to do, beginning with me, including all of y'all. Find the line and then run as far as you can the other direction. You stand on that line too long, eventually you're going to do what? You're just waiting. It's just a matter of time till you fall over. Find the line, run the other way as fast as you can. Are y'all tracking? Happy Thanksgiving. We should be thankful that God's word tells us the truth. Oh, I could preach two more hours on gratitude. For Jesus, you tell me the truth. Thank you. I've had people lie to me my whole life. Thank you. You tell me the truth about who I am. Come on, let's give him some praise. He tells us the truth. And as your pastor, I'm going to do my best to tell you the truth. This is for me. This is for all of us. So let's begin to land the plane. I stress begin. He goes on to say that Gentiles should abstain from what has been strangled and from blood. What a gory message, huh? Abstain from what has been strangled and from blood. What what is he talking about? Well, Gentiles would eat just about anything. The animal would be killed, strangled, but oftentimes the blood was not drained out. But it didn't bother the Gentiles. The issue of blood wasn't a big deal to them. But Leviticus 17, 10 through 16 tells us that the Israelites, that the Hebrews, that the Jewish people should never in any shape, form, or fashion consume anything that contains blood. So for a Gentile, think, think a thing about it, eating meat with blood in it, animals with blood still in it. But for the Jew, that was reprehensible. He said, I want you to abstain from that. He said, Pastor Scott, okay, let's go a little bit further. Help help me. Help me understand how this applies to me. Well, essentially, James is saying, don't do this. Because it offends your Jewish brother, if it offends your Jewish sister, do everything you can to avoid it. Run from the practice, run from the problem. James is saying, do everything you can to think of your neighbor more than you think of yourself. Okay? Let me, let me make this practical for us today. As Christians, we have certain rights. 
I'm not talking about as Americans, okay? I'm talking about as, that's true too, but as Christians, we have certain rights. Let me give you an example of one. I've studied this for, I don't know, 15, 17 years, something like that. Um, I'm convinced that it is not sinful to have a glass of wine. There's nothing sinful in the wine itself. Okay? There's no, it's not a sinful substance. The sin is not the wine itself. It's what you do with it. Does that make sense? The Bible is abundantly clear that getting drunk is a sin. And if you're doing that as a Christian, stop it. Okay? Now, you might have the right, you may have the right in Jesus to have a glass of wine. But if somebody else comes around as a brother and they're convinced that having a glass of wine is sinful, then according to the logic here, it's, well, I hear this all the time. Well, I don't care. It's my right. It's their problem. It's not mine. Listen, you may have the right, but that doesn't make you right by exercising it. So if someone says, well, I don't care what they say. I don't care what they say. I'm going to drink it anyway. You drink it in front of someone that has a problem with it, even though the act itself may not be sinful, if you choose to do it anyway in front of them, then that shows that it's not your neighbor that you love, it's yourself and it's your own right. Does that make sense? So there's nothing wrong biblically. I mean, I'm not promoting drinking. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to be objective as I can. There's nothing sinful in the substance. It's what you do with it. Avoid drunkenness. But also, for the sake of your neighbor, for the sake of them, if they think it's sinful, don't go there because you could cause them to stumble and then, then you create division and dissension and all kinds of problems that wouldn't even be there if you had, if you had acted in love instead. Isn't the sum total of the law love? It is. So love your neighbor. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. Here's the application. Don't do anything that would cause division. Don't do anything that will cause dissension. Don't do anything that would cause your neighbor, your brother or sister to fall or to stumble. Do y'all receive that? Yes. So I know there are a lot of people here. You have different convictions on these things. And I'm, I'm in a hard spot trying to navigate it all here. But let me just, biblically speaking, this is what I see. That's the application. James is saying, Gentiles, you don't have to cut away the flesh to be saved, but you do have to cut out anything that keeps you from being unified with your Jewish brothers and sisters. That's what it came down to. Don't do anything that would cause division at the table. Y'all think that way? I think y'all do. There's so many things to disagree about and to split over. I'm constantly thinking of ways to create unity here at this campus. Because the devil wants to get up right in the middle of this. And, you know, the greatest enemy is not the one we, we fight from without. It's not the world. The, the greatest threat to the advancement of the kingdom of God is dissension and disunity in the church. If we're unified, we will be unstoppable. Amen. But we have to have this heart for one another. If this bothers you, even if it's not a sin you think it is, I'm going to abstain from doing it so you and I can walk in unity together. And think if we can do that together, have that attitude, and have our rights, but never 
force our rights over the good of our brother and sister. Think about the unity we'll have in this place. Think about the people we can reach because it's true. We are, come on y'all, better together. Isn't that true? Does this make sense to y'all? I told you. It's a hard one. I hope this is helping you. Let me conclude with this. Acts 15, 22 through 29. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with this following letter. Here's the letter they came up with and they're going to send it to Antioch. Here's the letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 26. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Here it is. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Look at what he says. Look at what the letter says. This is their collective judgment. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. I love how it ends. Farewell. In other words, that's it. This is our judgment. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? This is our judgment. Now take the letter, go to the church at Antioch, inform the Gentiles that this is our decision. Well, verse 30 says this. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, look at this, what does it say? They delivered the letter. Now hold on just a second. Get behind this, men. Not to be funny, but get behind this with me emotionally for a second. If you're a Gentile, you're in Antioch, you're a believer, but all these people came in and said, well, you know, you have to be circumcised to be saved. Paul and Barnabas leave to go to Jerusalem to get the official word to come back. How many of y'all know there are a bunch of men up at the church in Antioch going, probably a little bit nervous about the final report because I think they knew where this was going, but there's a possibility that somebody could come back and say that, that these grown Gentile men had to be circumcised in order to be saved. But, but we're told that they delivered the letter. The letter, look at what verse 31 says. And when they had read it, picture these men in the church reading this letter. It says, when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Come on. And all the male Gentiles of the church in Antioch said, hallelujah, no circumcision, baby. It was a time of rejoicing. Isn't it? Isn't that what you see? Grace won the day. Grace won. We don't have to be circumcised. We don't have to take upon ourselves the yoke of uh, the law of Moses. We are now freed by the grace of God. We are saved by the grace of God. We will be kept by the grace of God. That's, I think, what's going on in their minds. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. No yoke. No burden of the law. 
to get saved or to stay saved. We are saved by the amazing grace of God. Christ plus nothing is everything.